This is the best, most fun I have ever, ever, ever had on a podcast. This is a hit. I'm Jesse Cole, your host of Business Done Differently, where we get to meet successful people who look at business differently and we get to know them in a different way. I want you to unlearn the word humiliation and embarrassment. They don't exist. (laughs) They don't exist. No one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. So stop worrying about anyone else. Stop worrying about falling over. Stop worrying about being laughed at. Just keep going. Steve Sims, the owner of Bluefish, which is a luxury travel and lifestyle concierge firm, but that really doesn't do it justice. He's been featured in Forbes, New York Times, Entrepreneur, CNBC, to name a few. But his company, he and his company, just makes dreams come true. His book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen, shares all the secrets. One of the best books I've ever read. I read it in one sitting. It was unbelievable. Steve, welcome to the show. I'm thrilled and thank you for the review straight off the bat. <laughs> I'll keep giving them throughout the, throughout the entire uh, podcast <laughs> today because some of the quotes are great. You made the book so concise, so short, and just actually you can put it to play. So, But Steve, you, I think, we got to start with the story of my life. Because I actually think you are the most interesting man in the world. So <laughs> I think you could you could mess with Dosecki's guy in that. But you know, share your story with the group because it's really fascinating. Wow, my story. Uh, I'm an East London uh, son of a bricklayer. Left school at 15. Um, rode around the streets of London on a motorbike in a black t-shirt and jeans. Fast forward now, I'm 51 years old. I'm still riding around on a motorcycle in black t-shirt and jeans. But in the middle of it, I send people to the Titanic, get married in the Vatican, take over museums for dinner parties and stick them on stage with our favorite rock stars. So, so how did that start? All right, you just went, you're, you're literally putting people in Titanic, putting people playing with rock stars. How did this start in the idea of blue fishing? Uh, it didn't. Um, I'd love to sit here and tell you I'm hugely intelligent and I planned it and worked it out and analyzed it, but then that would be a lie. Um, I, try, I talked my way into getting a job in Hong Kong. I landed on the Saturday and I was fired on the Tuesday. Uh, I then did what God uh, designed and built me for. I started working on the door of nightclubs Wait, in why, Hong why Kong. Why were you fired? We got to go back here. Why were you fired two days later? <laughs> you know, so I'm not going to skip mine, over that. All right. So a friend of mine um, was a stockbroker and was telling me about this big uh, transfer of a couple of the floors of this bank over to Hong Kong. And he said, so we're taking on loads of new interns, basically any, and this is in the 80s. He said, anyone can get a job. So I was still a bricklayer. I borrowed my dad's suit. I turned up at this bank for an interview. And as I walked into the bank, on the right-hand side of me was the conference room where they were discussing all these people going to Hong Kong. On the left-hand side, they were doing a a mass interview for interns. This one had an all-you-could-eat buffet going on. So I was like, I don't think I'm going to get the job, but this one I get fed. So I walked into this room and challenged myself how much of the buffet I could eat while these guys were going on about, and when you're in Hong Kong, you'll be working on this. I had no idea what they were talking about, but I'm eating all of the breakfast. And then the guy up on the stage, I I honestly had no idea what was being said. And then the guy turned around and went, on your way out the door, check to make sure the girls have got your name and address. And I'll see you in Hong Kong. And I was like, well, that makes sense. So I put my plate down, walked up to this girl. And I just looked at her and I went, 
Steve Sims. And she's looking through this cheat and she's like, you're not here. And I'm like, oh, not again. And she's like, no, no, no. So she writes my name and address down. I then go home. I didn't even go to the intern interview. And it was about two weeks later, I got a ticket to Hong Kong. Um, and I turned up on the Saturday. I got drunk with them on the Saturday, got drunk with them on the Sunday, went to orientation on the Monday. And they called me into the office on the, on the Tuesday morning. And they went, how did you get here? And so then I told them the story. And they went, you know, you're fired, don't you? And I went, yeah, I kind of guess. But I took a stab at it. And, um, and that was it. So I... I was a stockbroker for, for 24 hours of my life. <laughs> hey, well, at least you had fun and you went out partying and got some all-you-can-eat buffet. So it didn't turn out there too bad. There you go, yeah. So, so you go there and then what happened from there? Uh, I went into a bit of a slump. Uh, I, won't, I won't kid you. you know, for a few days, I thought, what the hell am I going to do? And I started hanging out at some of these bars and just drinking alone. And um, this lady from the owned the bar, uh, the one of the bars I was in, walked up to me and she said, do you do door work? And I went, yeah. You know, I, I'd only done it a couple of times before. And she said, uh, we've got some foreigners inside that's causing a bit of trouble. Can you have a word with them before we send our boys in there? And in those days, our boys went in with sticks. Mm-hmm. So these were nasty little guys. <laughs> so I just went over, sat down with the boys, and I went, look, you've got two choices. Pay your bill, walk out the front door, or keep doing what you do and be carried out the back. It's your call. See you later. I hope to see you go out the front door. And they did. So she went, can you do And so I started working on the door. And then I had an epiphany. I thought, okay, I'm not going to do door work forever. So I need to surround myself with affluent, successful people. Because poor people aren't going to give me a job. So I started doing themed nights. And I became like a club promoter. So so not to cut you off, but you said you started surrounding yourself with better people, affluent people. Yeah. We have a segment called Party of Five. You're the average of the five people you most spend. I mean, Bingo. Yeah. So explain to me, which people, you started hanging out with these certain people. How did that happen? Well, I knew that I wanted to, only can, I only wanted to have people in that I could resonate with. I don't like having any effort to have a conversation. So I don't want to try and change who I am. But if I can talk to someone and I'm getting on with them and they just also happen to be successful and rich, I know it's easy. So... I just started inviting people. And when I felt this person wasn't right, the next party, they wouldn't get invited. And then I started doing passwords and just inviting people that I would would be happy to hang out with and happy to chug a whiskey with that were also humble enough to say a really stupid password to get into the party. And so I was filtering my circle. So so you're this doorman. You're seeing people who are coming into the bar and the restaurant. And then you say – let's start throwing parties. How did you get permission to start throwing parties? Oh, it's very easy. The nightclubs are never hot on every single night. So on a Tuesday night, it may be lame. On a Friday night, it may be kicking off. So in the early stages, I said to her, you know, let me have Tuesday night. And I would make sure the prettiest girls were in and the prettiest bartenders were in. And I'd make sure we got a DJ in there. And I would start contacting like the embassies and all these different areas and going, hey, we're having an expatriate party on Tuesday night. Be there. This is the password. So I just started doing that and designing a party that I wanted to be in. And the funny thing was, in the late 80s and 90s in Asia, most of the bars had, you know, like topless girls in it or, you know, that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. going on. My parties, I wouldn't let any of the women get undressed. So my party became this cool, sexy vibe party well, I actually had to tell some of our topless dancers, you can't take your clothes off. You've got to come along dressed. And they loved it even more 
And it became this thing. And all of a sudden, the wives liked it. And it, it just became a really cool place to be. So you built, you became the most popular, famous doorman over there. And then, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you're meeting all these great people, surrounding yourself with people. And then Bluefish starts happening. I know you mentioned this password, which I'm yeah. very intrigued by. That starts happening. Yeah, so I started my idea, my concept. And, you know, I'm one degree above a blunt instrument. My, my concept was... Like you say, quite actually, and it's not rocket science, surround yourself with good people and you're a combination of those. Mm -hmm. If all your friends are dickheads, guess what you are? So it's very simple. So I tried doing that, and in between it, as they would come to the party, as I would give them these passwords like name two of the Teletubbies or name the lion out of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. That got most people. And then finish this sentence, one fish, two fish, red fish. So... As these clients started traveling, they would come up to me and they'd go, hey, you know, do you know people in Monaco or do you know people in New York? And I'd be like, yeah, sure I do. And I didn't. But then they would try and ask me stuff and I would try and hook it up from it. And I was trying to be a value to this group that I could then get into that group and ask for a job. But before I knew it, I was actually the guy to go to when you needed travel access events or maybe something that, you know, they couldn't get, I was that guy. So, so where was your, Steve, where was your first wow moment? You're like, I can't believe I just made this happen for someone. Do you know, it wasn't a big wow moment, but I had these four guys that were pretty regular coming into my parties, and they told me about this yacht party going on down the road that they couldn't get into. And I remember them telling me about this yacht party and then spending the next two to five minutes telling me, telling me why they couldn't get in. And I was like, they've spent an awful lot of energy telling me why they can't do it. And I said to them, did you ask them? And they, they literally came back again with, oh, no, you can't do that. It's because this and these people, go, we can't get in. And I just thought to myself, I'm missing something here. And again, the blunt instrument in me, the, the uneducated you know, bricklayer from London, just couldn't fathom why they just didn't walk up to the door and ask. So I remember saying to my fellow meathead on the door, I said, Give me 20 minutes. I went down and I just walked up to this girl that had a clipboard. The party started at eight. I'm there at like, I don't know, seven o'clock in the evening. And I said, I got four guys coming down tonight. Do you want them to turn up uh, on the dot of eight or 8.30? What would you prefer? And I, I learned the art very early on. Never ask a question that they can answer no to. So she starts looking through this flip chart. And I said, oh, I'm sorry if you're busy. But, you know, I just want to know, eight o'clock or 8.30. And do you want to make sure the names are down there? And so she got, I said, look, you're obviously busy. Do you want me to give you the names again? She's like, yes, at 8.30 would be great. And I'm like, okay. So she wrote the names down. And I said, look, you're going to be really busy tonight. Thank you so much. Sorry to trouble you. I gave her 100 bucks, went back to the party, walked up to the guys. And I said, boys, you've got to be there at 8.30. I said, by the way, it's 500 bucks each. And she went, they went, oh, excellent. And they literally got the money out, gave me two grand. And I walked up to the front door and shoved it in my pocket. And I'm like, why didn't they do it? And it was like the king's clothes. And I think here in America, you call it the emperor's clothes, <laughs> you know, the, the nude emperor. I just, you know the story, don't you? The, king, the king's got no clothes on. No, I don't. There, there's an old fable in Europe that um, there's this king that's convinced by this tailor that, that he makes the greatest suits in the world, but only the most intelligent people can see them. So the tailor actually doesn't dress him up. He walks him out naked saying only the most intelligent people will see him, 
Of course, everyone's turning around going, oh, your clothes look so fine, you look so dashing, when actually he stood there naked. <laughs> and it's, the, it's a kid that turns around and goes, but you got no clothes on, and just calls it as he sees it. And I had that, that epiphany at that moment that I couldn't understand why so much energy had been spent on focusing on why you can't do something other than the single solitary reason why you should. And I just walked up and got it done. And that's what started. All of a sudden, I was the guy that you went to whenever you wanted to go to an event. All right. This show is taking a whole nother spin, and I love where it's going, Steve. <laughs> I, I, I have to unpack some of this. First, what you said before, never ask a question that can end up with a no. And right. I, I, explain that. How, give us some other examples of questions that you can ask that don't end up in a no. So when I want to take over a museum or, or, you know, get someone to lend me a giraffe from a zoo or something like that, if you phone up and you go, hey, I want this, how much is it going to cost? No one likes to be sold or bought. Nobody. And the richer you are, the, the, the further from that. So I have to go up to them and I go, hey, how you doing? Look, I've got this dream. It consists of this, this, this. What needs to happen for us to be able to fulfill this dream? So you, you try to get them into the passion. You try to get them into the vision and then ask them what needs to happen. What are the next steps? How do we put this together so that we can make it happen on Saturday night? Yeah, and you can, get them committed. Yeah, I mean, give, give an example of that because I'm sure there's some where they've said, well, this can't happen. But what is something like elaborate that you did and you said, this is what needs to happen and they actually helped design it with you? Uh, journey. Um, I had a client come to me and he wanted to, um, he actually wanted to meet Journey. And I said to him, okay, um, you know, why? And I'm, I've, I'm a great believer in asking why three times, because nine times out of 10, the first response is the one that they tell you that they think you want to hear. And you drill it down <laughs> to get to the PowerPoint. And if you can actually get to someone's hot button, they'll sell that firstborn. So, I asked the guy, you know, why do you want to meet Journey? And he's like, well, you know, oh, I really like the band. Oh, really? Okay, you know. Really? You know, and I just quizzed him a bit more. It turns out that when he was at college, and he's now very successful, he was sleeping on his mate's couch, and he was the lead singer of a cover band for Journey. So through his divorce and through his breakups and his, his near-broke experiences and his turmoil of life, Journey was always there. So it was basically his soundtrack of his life. And I said to him, well, that's, that's fantastic. So you're telling me for you to walk backstage and shake hands with these guys, that's going to be the climax. That's going to be the finale of this movie. And he's like, oh. I said, no, no, it's not. So you park here with us. Let's see what we can do. So I went to um, some people and I was trying to find an angle. And sometimes the best angle is not straightforward. And I discovered that the drummer's son from Journey had autism. My client's brother's son had autism. So I thought, hang on a minute, there's a dream here with a rock band that's now going back on tour, but there's a feel good that we can wrap it into. So I actually went in with the root of Autism Speaks. I said, look, how would you like, and I gave them a win, how would you like to draw attention to the fact that you guys are now back on tour while also raising awareness for one of the worst diseases out there of autism. Of course, knowing full well that the drummer was going to be on my side within a heartbeat, of which he was, and he became the champion and the advocate for wanting to do this. So all the agents are looking at it going, free advertising, free marketing, and the drummer's looking at it, 
bringing attention to my cause. And so I managed to get in there and I asked them about how would you like to do this? How would that benefit you? Ask someone that. Hey, I've got this. How would this benefit you if I did this for you? Get them to go, well, it would a lot. Great. So we need to go through these steps. And that's how I did the journey. And I actually got him on stage live in San Diego. And he sang four tunes with the entire band during a concert and is now deemed as the shortest term lead singer of the rock band. Oh, wow. And he'll, he'll never, he'll never, ever forget that. I mean, but, but you created, no. you created a win-win. Uh, exactly a win-win. The good thing about a win-win is you can milk that cow forever. If I come to you and I go, hey, can I have this? I want this. I'll pay for this. That's a transaction. If you create a win-win, there's value in that. The next time you make a phone call, and it's happened since, if I've had to go to a celebrity, if I've had to go to a musician, I've actually, I did a thing with Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. I had a client that wanted to do a guitar lesson with him. I went to the management, not the agent, big differentiator. I went to the management of Journey and I went, do you know ZZ Top? And they went, yes. I said, well, you know I'm real. You know I do what I say. Can you introduce me? So now I'm getting introduced via a warm connection, someone they respect appear so all of a sudden they're like yeah i heard about what you did with journey what do you want me for and i'm like good question so that creates a win-win oh that's outstanding now i want to talk about i want to go into magic moment because i feel like steve you've created these moments for so many people and the book shares all these amazing stories you know what's a moment that you will never forget what's a magic moment for you so I had this client wanted to have an exclusive dinner party in Florence, and um, they don't do exclusive dinner parties in Florence. It's as simple as that. The exclusive restaurants just don't exist. Tuscany is about getting a, t- a, a seating for two, and you're on a table of 20, and by the end of the day, you've just got an enlarged family. That's the whole point of Tuscan living. But to give this guy something exclusive, we needed to give him something that couldn't be replicated. We actually took over the academia in Florence, which houses Michelangelo's David, the most iconic statue in the planet. We set up a table of six at the feet of Michelangelo's David, and then halfway through dinner, we had Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade the clients. Now, the client got about an hour and a half experience out of this, but I had to shut the museum down at three o'clock in the afternoon. So I had a long time to wander around one of the most iconic statues and museums literally on my own. And then about six o'clock in the evening, Andrea Bocelli comes in and we're sat there just talking and we're on a plinth on the, on the profile of David and he starts singing and just humming. And as he's doing it, there's me, him and his wife, the only people in the museum facing David. I started singing as well. <laughs> and me and him were singing at the same time. He stops says something to Veronica, his stunningly beautiful wife, and Veronica looks over to me and she says, "Uh, Steve, what are you doing? And I said, well, when am I ever going to get the chance to sing a duet with Andrea Bocelli again? (laughs) So she smiles, says this to him in Italian, he giggles, looks in my direction and says, stop. (laughs) (laughs) That was my moment. With your voice, do we have a recording of that song to play, Steve? (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't think you want a recording of that, but I can very happily say that I sang a duet with uh, Andrea Bocelli in Florence. That's amazing. You know, the thing that I'm seeing, it, it's, it's the magic of thinking big. And there's a great book called, by David Schwartz about this. It seems like you are able to think big, but a lot of your people, they might say, I just want to meet Journey or I want to go on this. Like I asked my staff today, and one of them said, I would love to sit down with Theo Epstein, the general manager and president of the Chicago Cubs. How have you been able to teach people to think bigger than that you know, with what you do? Um, I'm, do you know, I was going to probably think of a more subtle, polite word, but I'm disgusted how people dilute their dreams. I'm thrilled that they do, because if they didn't, I'd be out of business. But people put a cap, put a pedestal, put a restriction on everything before they allow them to, to the, the, the beauty to just believe and dream that it can be done. If you wanted to meet the head of the Cubs, all you've got to do is give a reason to make him want to meet you. It's very easy to get your feet in the door now, but the real secret sauce is being so irresistible that they don't want you to leave. And how do you do that? And that, oh, that, that's the win-win in the position of the ask. You've actually got to find out for a start, do your research. Now, I was doing this in the 80s and 90s without Google. Everyone now, including me, has the benefit of you know, surfing the internet. Find out what the passions are. Find out what causes he supports. Find out what galas he turns up at. Find out all of those kind of things. Become a cyber stalker. Educate yourself on this stuff. And then one of the things that I've done, and you've got to inject humor in it, character and uniqueness. But I had a client I needed to see in Silicon Valley that was a racing driver for Porsche. I got a magazine on Porsche. I ripped out one of the pages and with a Sharpie, I said, I would love to chat with you for 15 minutes. Please give me a call at this number. If you don't, the magazine gets it. If you do, I'll send the following magazine. And I sent it to him. Guy doesn't need a magazine. For me, it was a 499, but he found it so compelling and interesting that I'd wrap this up, I'd shoved it in an envelope. And I, whenever I travel, I always pick up envelopes from different hotels. So he's got this, ho this hotel envelope from like Ukraine or Poland or something. And in it, a ripped out piece of a magazine with my, my signature, my details, and my email on there. Um, and he reached out to me. He found it compelling and interesting enough that someone would send something so raw um, and just so clear that he reached out. He was intrigued. And that's what you have to do. Outstanding. All right, we're going to go to a game right now. We're going to shift gears. It is truth and dare. Just do it. Ooh, okay. So the key is truth and dare. Which one would you like first? <laughs> Uh, truth. Truth. So I'm going to shift this truth. You were talking about how everyone, they don't, they dilute their dreams. What's one dream that you have that you've held yourself back and you haven't achieved yet? Oh, um, I'm a very, very dull person, which probably makes me very good at what I do. I live vicariously through my clients. Um, I've been married to the same woman for all of my life. I collect motorcycles. I drink whiskey. So I don't actually have any ambitions other than to make sure I keep doing what I do. What that's going to be, I don't know. But I don't actually drive for anything. I'm just waiting to be reactive to what my clients want. No, but I mean, it's here. there's not anything that you think, wow, you know, I would love for my life or something to happen here. You're just going with the flow and it's all about the clients? It's all about the clients because the, the thing about it is you may have a passion. I would have never in my life ever thought about hanging out with Andrea Bocelli or Elton John or Elon Musk or any of those people 
Because for me, my biggest passion outside of my family is motorcycles. So if you'd have asked me that question, I would have had it all motorcycle related. But because my clients have sent me off into different junctures, I've ended up meeting princes and rock stars that I would never have had anything to do with that have opened up my eyes. So yes, I love being there getting ready to be challenged by a client of what can be done next. Okay, excellent. So you're not going to get away from the dare though, Steve. All right. So here is the Good. here is the dare. So you've met a lot of people, a lot of celebrities. I want you to do your best celebrity impersonation. <laughs> I my my best uh, my uh, Okay then. Um God you put me on the spot there. You, you so, can be um, any. You can be anybody. I just with with the great accent you doing a celebrity impersonation is going to be a lot of fun. All so. right. So I, I I probably you may not you may not recognize this one, but I've noticed he does this a lot. He sits there. He goes, "Yes, mm, yes, I remember when I did that. Mm, I can't really tell you more about that." Mm. <laughs> and you probably have no idea who that is. Um, I've been stumped, but I'm, I'm intrigued. No, it's fine. Who is that? Richard Branson. Okay, all right. If you watch him, he will actually sit there and he will chuckle to himself and then he will make a comment and not bloody answer the question. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been able to spend time with Richard Branson? I have. He's a very very motivated, driven gentleman. doesn't give a lot of secrets away on his presentations, though. <laughs> so, all right. So, I'm going to go into that because how were you able to to meet Richard Branson? How were you able to accomplish that? Uh, they did. Uh, well, his mum actually does a event called Rock the Casbah, and the Rock the Casbah was a charity event, and I got involved to help drive traffic to it, help to market it, help to position it, help to do a VIP cocktail reception that included Richard. Uh, my good friend Joe Polish helped me with that, so I was able to kind of cultivate it that. I was able to get people to meet Richard and then quite simply they liked the way I did it and I did it for a few years following. So I've been very happy to work with him consistently. Uh, outstanding. All right. We're going to go to Crazy Train now, Steve. This is Crazy Train. Crazy Train. All right. What is something that you've done in your business that people would call absolutely crazy? Um, oh, dear. Uh, probably, probably crazy and stupid was I actually was challenged by a ranger squad in Fort Hood in Texas to complete three elements of a 15-element assault course. And all they wanted me to do was to complete three of these exercises. And I got, I got screwed on the second. So trying to keep up with these rangers. Now, I'm 250 pounds of ugly. I fought uh, pro-am uh, kickboxing. These two rangers were both like 19 and 20 years old. I think, you know, wet between the pair of them, they were like 250 pounds. And these guys danced all over me. So, man, these guys know how to move. (laughs) Excellent. All right. I want to go to quotable. That's what she said. Or he said. Because you have some great quotes. Now, correct me wrong. Are you not on Twitter? No, I am on Twitter, Steve D. Sims 1. Steve D. Sims, all right, because I was finding a lot of people talk about you. But here's some quotable. People don't want what they can afford. They want what they can't get. How have you seen that happen? The the classic ones are these uh, limited edition bags and these limited edition (laughs) watches and these uh, parties. they, they, They show you the party and then they go, oh, you can't get into that. If it's that private, don't show us. But a lot of these people, um, a lot of these luxury companies market these exclusive items 
And it's only exclusive to the point that they will sell as many as they're able to sell. I remember speaking to a jeweler once and they went, it's limited edition. And I said, so how many are you producing? And they said, as many as we can sell. And that was their answer. So I went, okay. So yeah, I've noticed that very often. Put a, put a list on it. If you say, hey, this, this phone is limited edition and will go on sale in five days time, get on the list now. People will jump on a list just to get the first one, even though nine times out of ten they don't know what they're getting. Well, is that that's probably helped you in build your business because of the exclusivity. People want what they can't have. Yeah, look at iPhone. Apple's done a phenomenal job of yeah. driving up. Um, Supreme's done a, done a brilliant job of it mm-hmm. with its collaborations with Louis Vuitton. Yeah, there's a great bit of marketability out there now on building up exclusivity. And exclusivity, the key element of exclusivity is it breeds desire. And desire has no intelligence behind it. If you can get someone to desire something, you're working on a different part of their brain cell. And they're not working on facts now. They're not working on reason. Desire overtakes all of that. Wow. Have there been some events that have been almost too exclusive for you to get a client into? Nah. <laughs> no. There's not. We've done, we've done tea parties with royalty. We've done weddings, uh, royal weddings. We've done, uh, uh, we had a client want to get married in the Vatican by the Pope. Um, no, we've, uh, we did a um, brilliant tour of Elon Musk's space factory where we all sat in the fuselage. So, no, it's been pretty cool. See, that's what's fascinating because everyone puts these limitations. There has to have been one, like a challenge, Steve, that, you know, making all these amazing things happens that would take a long time. I mean, has there ever been one of these projects that's like this took six months to accomplish or a year? Oh, yeah. No, we did. Um, the wedding for the Vatican took probably about six months. We turned a client into James Bond in the south of France. That took about a year. Um, so a lot of them take a long time. There was one request we had, which we just straight away turned down. Um, we had a client phone us up, and he said, I want to detonate a nuclear warhead. And we said, you want to what? And he said, yeah, I want to be the guy responsible for pushing the button on the most powerful thing in the planet. Now, this was back in, um, God, the late, the late 90s. Had that been now, I think I may be reporting to some kind of authority, but uh, that was in Florida. So we actually went, no, we're not doing that. So we refused that. But what, what's fascinating, and the lesson for people in business and looking at business differently, I'm guessing, even though you don't ask questions that have a no, You've been told no, but you keep persisting. Have there been examples of that? Yeah, I've often believed that if someone says no, I'm asking the wrong person. So <laughs> I've always kind of like try to find a person that's in control first. Many times I'll get people go, and it doesn't bother me. No, no is not a roadblock to me. It's just a, it's just a you know, potential change in direction, change in tax, change in questioning. And someone can say no, and you can say, well, what are you answering no to? Are you answering no to it being on a Tuesday? Are you answering it no to being at 7.30? Are you, no, uh, you answering no to the amount of money being offered? I, I want to get accurate. What are you saying no to? So you want to engage them to find out where that is. Um, you will get the fun. Usually the no is the person that doesn't have the ability to make the decision. But if you found the person in the vicinity to make that decision and you ask them to specify the no, then you'll sometimes find, well, I'm just not the person that can give you that answer. Okay, then I'm talking to the right, wrong person. Who is the right person? <laughs> um, and also sometimes no can be the best, best compounder. When I did that academia uh, museum, 
after a few conversations, I actually went into the challenge because this is this to me is the is the super glue. I actually went into her and I said to her, I need to ask you a question. Have you ever done this before? And she said, no, we have not. And I went, that's fantastic. We're making history. And she's like, we are. Now, all of a sudden, you've now cemented that there's no way in the world that this can stop because she now is making history. You've got her as your ambassador and advocate internally on that project to make it happen. Oh, that's brilliant. And you're, you repositioned it. And, and I think, Steve, what's great, your next book should be a follow-up on, on, on sales. I mean, literally, these are some of the best sales techniques that you could give anybody. I mean, that's what that's how making things happen. I can't say, no, no, if I get a no, no, we'll just go to someone else. It's, it's, it's amazing. I, I love it. All right. want to go into service, Steve, because I think a lot of what you're doing, concierge, is all about service. And I ask this question on every show called, now that's what I call service. And I ask people about the best service experience they've had. It could be with a restaurant, a hotel. And most people struggle answering that because that concierge type service isn't out there. What are some? What is a moment or a, a service moment that really stood out for you? It doesn't necessarily have to be with your business. It could be anywhere else that you've worked with. Um, well, as you know, we own Bluefish, and it's a high-end concierge firm. So we get to work with a lot of travel-related organizations. I've always been impressed with those hotels that take a bit more time to ask about the clients, how many kids are turning up, what's the age. And then the clients contact me, and they say, hey, thank you very much. I saw you put this in here for Tommy and this in here for Lily. And the hotel has gone one step further to put little welcoming gifts for the kids. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the parents, the parents don't care if there's a bottle of wine in there, but if there's something for the kids, a little little game or a little toy, or one of the things I liked, I think with the Mandarin Oriental, they put miniature slippers in there oh. for the kids. And it's just going that little step further to look after the parents by looking after the kids that gets my big hand up. And I will then reach out to the hotel and I'll go, do you know you've made sure you've got more of my business because of that attention to detail? So good high-end hotels where they've taken that extra step, that's the service I like. And the Mandarin Oriental, I've got to give a shout out to. Four Seasons are very good about that as well. So that's where my service I've liked. How do they find all the details to really take care of somebody? They ask. Do you know so many people don't ask questions now? And I just don't understand why. How can you be sparkling? How can you be fantastical? How can you be amazing if you don't know the bloody details? So you say to people, okay, you want this. How many people are involved in this? Uh, Where did they all come from? Are they all your friends? Are they family? What's the age dynamic? What's the health dynamic? You know, just ask those kind of questions. And then you can, okay, there's some older people in this group. So let's make sure that wherever we are, there's not a lot of stairs. Mm-hmm. Or if there are stairs, make sure that we've got a way of getting them around those stairs by getting them into a golf buggy. Just taking that little attention to detail will cement you in that mindset forever. Mm-hmm. It's so spot on. Ask more questions. People just don't do it. They're in their own worlds, not thinking about other people. It's brutal. And I, I think this is a great uh, segue as well. We're going into flip the script, Steve, which I'm sure you haven't been a part of before. You now are the host of Business Done Differently. You are the okay. host, and you could ask any question to me. All right. Okay. When did you first see the power of yellow? <laughs> Never been asked that before. No, I, I think the key is it's all about standing out. And what you've done with your business is you found a way to stand out for your clients. 
So for me, when we realized it was about a show, not about a baseball game, it was about dancing players and grandma beauty pageants and making a circus, the idea of me just dressed up in a polo and pants didn't fit the theme. So six years ago, I got my first yellow tux, and now I wear them all the time. So to the power of yellow, the yellow just works. Obviously, Savannah bananas, what else color would I be wearing? Uh, but no, that, that's a great question. But I think it goes back to the whole theme, you know, what makes you different? And, and Steve, this is what's so fascinating about you. You are so different in the way that you view how to make things happen. And, you know, uh, you, you, you are yourself. Right now, I'm looking at you, shaved head, you got a goatee, you're in black. I think, are those motorcycles behind you? Yeah, there's a few there. <laughs> and, and, and you're authentic. And I, I appreciate that question. But is there a way you can actually, we're moving out of flip the script. You can teach people to say, you know, stop worrying about trying to be someone else, but be yourself. Oh, God, yeah. I had a very dark moment in my life where I actually tried to be somebody else because I thought it would impress you. Um, there was a period where I was doing very good business, but then I suddenly looked at myself and I'm like, hang on a minute. I'm turning up the clients in a black T-shirt and jeans with my earrings, with my tattoos on a motorbike. And I came up stupidly with this idea that that's not good for business. So I started wearing uh, shirts and suits, bought a Ferrari, uh, took all my earrings out. And actually, my money started to go up with people that I didn't resonate with. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, I was losing connection. And I was supplying and looking after people that I couldn't connect with because I was wearing a costume. I wasn't being me. I was now heavy in so much effort to be this person I thought you wanted to think I was. Yeah. And that's a horrible math. You yeah. know, I'm assuming what you need me to... Damn, that's more confusing than the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> so I actually went back and I went, hang on a minute, how can I be unique and stand out? And do you know what I realized? By being me. Mm -hmm. Because no one's like me, no one's like you, no one's like you know, the people watching this podcast. And here's the good thing about being you, it takes no effort. Yep. 100%. None at all. So that's where it was. And you, you, the yellow's not wearing you, you're wearing the yellow. <laughs> so you've got no costume. This is just a, this is just a, um, an, an extension of you. Yeah. And that's where it should be. So I congratulate you for that, by the way. <laughs> no, thank you. I think the key point there is, is to amplify yourself. I say this all the time. Whoever oh. you are, amplify yourself. So, for instance, for me, if I'm loud, I'm outgoing, I'm crazy, this fits me. And for you, you are 100% yourself and you're amplifying it. And you're not trying to be that. And just, I think people need to do that more. So, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, I want to move up. We'll finish up here, Steve. I want to go into tool time. Uh. What tools are you using in your business You know that maybe most people aren't familiar with? Or tools that just to make you successful? Do you know, there are two tools that I use that everyone uses but probably doesn't use them enough. The post office, okay? Nine times out of the year, avoiding Christmas, nothing's being delivered to you that isn't anything more than the local gardening service, a dry cleaners, or a new Chinese restaurant. So if you can actually find a, a piece of hotel stationery, and there's the key, walk down to your local hotel and go, hey, I'm going to be writing some notes in the corner. I need some envelopes. They will give you the envelopes. If you send someone a letter handwritten from a hotel, people go, who is it? Also, secretaries never open them because they think it's personal. Uh. So it gets through to the boss. And you open up and you go, I saw what you did or I saw you got a promotion or I saw you in the newspaper. Congratulations, Steve. Phone number. You know, do something like that. It will... It will entertain, engage, and you'll get a response. So 
Post I use a lot. I also use Outlook and I use Microsoft Outlook. And what I do is when I'm talking to a client, I always make sure that the, the date stamp and everything is in there. So I set myself a calendar. If it's not in the calendar, it's not happening. But as I'm talking to the client, I'll make notes on that calendar invite, okay? And then what I'll do is I'll set that calendar invite two, three, six months into the future and just put, you know, just push save. And then what will happen is when I open up my calendar for the beginning of December, I'll see all of these reminders from like six months ago and what we were talking about. And then I can reach out and go, hey, Joey, I was thinking about you the other day. I remember you spoke about you were looking at adopting a dog. Did that ever happen? <laughs> and they're like, how the hell did you remember that? Because I use simple techniques because simple is strong. Mm -hmm. And it's the attention to detail. If we're getting any of us listeners, attention to detail. And I love because that makes you stand out. You remember something no one else remembers. And one thing we also do, Steve, is you know we do six-month birthday cards a lot of the time because no one else is getting a six-month birthday card. You know, Don't do what everyone else is doing. Be different. Yeah. And, and talking about you know when their anniversary that everyone's talking about, or their dog, or what they were going to, that's, that's brilliant stuff. Are there any other secrets? You know, you put this in your book, and I'm going to keep coming back to this. The Blue Fishing is one of the best books I've ever read. In Secrets, you call it the Secrets of the Bluefish Playbook, and you have them at each end of each chapter. Are there any other secrets you'd like to share that could help people you, be successful? The, the funny one, um, yeah, the funny one you were saying about the six monthly uh, birthday list, I send out Valentine's cards in November and I send out Christmas cards at, you know, like June. Um, <laughs> because no, no one said, I've had people literally post and go, who the hell sends a Christmas card to me in June? And, you know, it's, it's me. Um, you always get a reaction from that too. I'm sure you, all, you probably most people will reach oh, out yeah, to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. But here's a tip. Okay, you want a tip. I'll give you a, a, an absolute crystal clear tip. Find someone, find someone that you like working with. Think of things that they like and then subscribe them to a yearly magazine for that subject. Because then what happens is every two to three months, they get a magazine and you can say to them, hey, Johnny, I know you like tuxedos. I got you tuxedo monthly, you know? And every two or three months, you get this tuxedo monthly. And what tends to happen is you reach out to them because it jogs their memory. There are months where I suddenly start getting contacted and I go, yep, the magazines have landed. So, so how, do they know it's, how do they know it's from you? Do, do, like, oh, you tell them. Okay. You tell them. You, you, you literally will find a magazine on Porsche, find a magazine on dogs. They move into a new home. You, you send them a, a home, um, you know, a house magazine on, you know, interior design or something, and they get it for the year. And try and change it each year, make it a different thing. And they will, and you just contact them. And you go, look, Mary, I know you're moving into a new home. There's a subscription to Home Monthly coming to you. Enjoy yourself. Brilliant. And then they, they keep getting it. And I will go to a party. And it's funny because I've sent people into diamond vaults. I've sent people down to see the Titanic. Yeah, I will get introduced to someone because I'm the guy that sent him a Christmas card in June. <laughs> you know, it's the weirdest things that I get introduced to people. And I'll literally be able to say, you went to the Titanic two months ago, and that's what you're pitching me for, that I sent Christmas cards? But it's great that I'm getting introduced and it keeps them in the memory. So yeah. magazines I'm a great person, a great believer in, and the post, doing things, and as you quite rightly say, where no one else is. Yep.
Well, what I say always, whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. Oh, That's, yeah, they, yeah, that going right, turn left. Yeah, normal gets normal results. All right, Steve, want to go quickly through some favorites and then finish with our final four. I need to know, what, what, what's your favorite morning ritual? Drinking coffee. All right, so <laughs> perfect. That works. Favorite way to unwind at the end of the day? Uh, motorcycle ride. Okay. I thought you were going to go because you mentioned earlier drinking coffee in the morning, drinking whiskey in the evening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, the whiskey's out. When I get back from the motorcycle bike ride, then that's when the whiskey comes out. But I like, uh, I moved to LA purely and simply because of the roads, and it's got some of the best motorcycle roads in America. Oh, that's outstanding. All right. Favorite uh, restaurant or a restaurant experience? I know you've traveled, but does one stand out for you? Um, Tel Aviv. I went to a restaurant in Jerusalem. Um, and then those guys, there's so much tension going on, but hell, come lunchtime, they turn the music up and they party like there's no tomorrow. And that taught me a lot. So I would say restaurants in Jerusalem are some of the best I've been to. Outstanding. All right. Uh, either favorite band or favorite concert you've been to? <laughs> Weird, weirdly, because I didn't think it would stand out because I like heavy metal and I like on drive. I like so much eclectic stuff. I took my mum to see Lady Antebellum, and I really enjoyed it. And so there you go. I, I have to own up, and I'd love to tell you it was Pearl Jam or Metallica, but no, it was Lady Antebellum. How did you uh, – no, we're not just going to leave that be, Steve. We're, so how did oh. you go – no, we're staying there. Because, hey, well, well, country's big down here in Savannah, so I'm, I'm okay with that. How did you go from loving something else to love what, – what made that concert special or that experience? Uh, well, I refuse, I refuse to stay blinkered. So I like to try many different things. Okay. Um, and I like to try so much different music. Um, but my mum my liked uh, Lady Antebellum. She was over here in Los Angeles. There was a concert going on at the Hollywood Bowl. I wanted to do it for her. But also at the same time, Lady Antebellum I knew was getting quite big because I recognized her name around a lot of places. I thought, okay, you don't know whether or not you like something until you immerse yourself with both feet. Mm -hmm. So I thought... I don't want to stand here and go, I hate country music or I hate Lady Antebellum, <laughs> where I've never listened to them. I hate those people that are that blinkered. Yeah. I knew that at the end of the concert, I can look at you in the eye and go, I really don't like this group or I really don't like this music because I experienced it. And so I went along very open, ready to have, ready to be able to educate myself, prepare myself for that decision and was thrilled that the decision in the end was, this is a kick-ass group. Awesome, awesome. All right, is a favorite either book that you've learned the most from? Oh, God, this is going to make you laugh. Um, Jay Abraham gave me The Places We Will See or The Places We Will Go by Dr. Zeus. And Dr. It was such, Jay Abraham actually does that. He sends out this book, and it's so primitive, yet every entrepreneur should read it. That's that's brilliant. Now, Jay Abraham, such a uh, influential person. How did you connect with him? It sounds like he's helped you a lot. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's um, funny enough. He actually came to. I was having a party with Elton John, and he came along as somebody else's guest, and I got to know him and chat with him before I got to know who Jay Abraham was. <laughs> um, and then we got chatting, and we just ended up staying in contact, and we've hung out with each other. And then when I got the book deal. I was doing some travel for him through Paris. And it's funny because he always finishes every sentence, every phone call with, and tell me what's going on in your life and how I can be of assistance. <laughs> and I always thought this was just a really cool ending to a phone call. And so this one time when he asked me that, I went, funny you should say that, Jay. 
I've been approached to do a book. And he went, I'll call you back. And he hung up and I thought, there you go. It was a nice tagline, but no. He called me back up and he went, be here Friday. Let's do a book. And so I went down to his house and we planned out what we were going to do. Oh, that's absolutely amazing. Beautiful. All right, I want to finish right now with the final four. The first question here, what's something you've done differently in your life to stand out? Now, you've answered a lot of these, but is there something that stands out for you? I've refused to be anybody else. That says it all. Excellent. It was simple, simple as that. You know, I'm me. You like it, you love it, you leave it, you know, whatever. But this is what you get. Uh, that's great. Now, what do you think, if you were to give advice to someone, what would make someone stand out in business or in life? Stop trying to copy everyone else. I noticed that when people start doing an internet business, they buy a hoodie and a pair of vans. They try to be the perception, the look, the feel, the vibe. No, be you. It's what identifies you as being unique to everyone else. And don't be frightened to ask questions. And if you don't know the answer, keep asking the questions until you do. I want you to uh, unlearn the word humiliation and embarrassment. They don't exist. (laughs) They don't exist. No one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. So stop worrying about anyone else. Stop worrying about falling over. Stop worrying about being laughed at. Just keep going. Oh, outstanding. Now, final two here. What's the best advice you've received? Actually, I probably just used it as a quote. Um, No one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. It's been very impactful. I should have it tattooed across my chest or my forehead or something. Oh, brilliant. And finally, Steve, how do you want to be remembered? He did what he said he was going to do. That's it. That says it all. Steve, it was a pleasure having you on Business Done Differently, man. Awesome. I'll tell you, this was one of the most interesting, (laughs) fun conversations I've had. How can people learn more about you and connect? Uh, SteveDSims.com is my website. And SteveDSims with one M uh, is on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, On Twitter, it's SteveDSims1. But uh, you can find me on all of those places. My concierge is the Bluefish. And I have tasteofblue.com. So there you go. There's a few ways of getting me. Steve, you are an absolute rock star. Thanks for being on the show, my man. Appreciate it, pal. Thanks. Stay yellow. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for your attention. Make sure to check out findyouryellowtux.com. I'm giving it away for free. The Secrets of the Yellow Tux Playbook. The six secrets to stand out directly from the book, Find Your Yellow Tux. Hope you grab a copy of Find Your Yellow Tux, How to Be Successful by Standing Out. I appreciate you guys. Until then, stop standing still, start standing out.